Welcome to FACL, Ontario's podcast. FACL is a coalition of Asian-Canadian legal professionals working to promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian-Canadian legal professionals and a wider community. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, listeners. Welcome to FACL Ontario's mini-podcast series, Conversations with Asian Women in the Law. I'm your co-host, Michelle Sito, and this is my partner in crime, Carrie Chan. We want to celebrate International Women's Day by bringing in four amazing women on our show. Today, we have Julia Shindoy in the studio. Julia is the General Counsel of Ryerson University. She's a venture, adjunct professor, published author, an active member of her community and the legal profession. She's a founder of FACL and named as one of the top 100 most powerful women in Canada by the Women's Executive Network. Welcome, Julia, to the show. Thanks very much and delighted to participate. Well, we obviously have a lot to chat about, so let's start our conversation. Welcome, Julia. You went to law school at Osgoode Hall back in the day in the early 1990s. Can you describe your experience? It was wonderful. It was always a dream of mine to be a lawyer. And so when I made it to law school, I was elated. And I met amazing people. I'm in touch with many of them still today after Mm -hmm. 25 years. And uh, it was really enriching, insightful, and we had a great time. So what was the demographic makeup of your class? I would say that there were only a handful of racialized uh, law students in uh, a class of 320. I can't remember the number of Asians in my class, but uh, there weren't that many. And then when I went back to Osgoode Hall Law School to teach, and I looked uh, looked at the classroom, I was amazed. And I think it was about, uh, so I started teaching in 2002 at Osgoode, and around 2012, I really saw diversity. Mm-hmm. And I saw so much diversity that um, it amazed me the number of Asians and South Asians in, in the law school. There's definitely a change in the demographic makeup and like even through the faculty events that we've been attending or hosting, you see a lot more Asian law students going through kind of the pipeline. Um, how many females were there? I think we were at par. It was 50-50 back then, too. Many women often delay their decision to have children because they believe, rightly or wrongly, that their career progression might take a hit. In fact, I was just talking to a co-worker yesterday about this, and she admitted that she delayed the decision to have kids because she wanted to focus on work. Did you ever struggle with this decision, and do you have any advice to share? I think this is an interesting question. Timing of when to have kids is something you actually can't control. So it took us five years before we had our first child, and then it took another five years before we had a second child. If I could have controlled the timing, I would have had children much sooner. Um, I had my first child at uh, age 34, and I wish I had her much earlier, and then maybe I would have had a few more. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's um, the timing is timing is something you can't control. So uh, as lawyers, we like to plan and be very organized and say, ideally, you know, this is exactly when I want to have a child. But sometimes your career and your 
family planning, it just doesn't mesh. So uh, I guess I was on the other end where uh, I want to have kids sooner, but it just happened much later. Did you ever take a pause in your career to raise your two daughters? So my first child was born a preemie at 28 and a half weeks mm -hmm. old. So she wasn't a full-term baby. So uh, it was very, it was an emergency C-section and I was out for a couple of months. And it gave me time to reflect about what I really wanted to do. And at that time I had already been in practice, um, in private practice for uh, about five years and in-house for another three years already and I had to really think about uh, because she was born premature and I was off of work um, on parental leave and she was in and out of hospitals I had to really think about what I wanted to do with my career and I read a lot of books uh, I read about what color is your parachute um, uh, all kinds of books and I tried to think about when I was the most happy and I, I, I thought about um, happiness as a goal and I recalled that uh, I was most happy when I could spend time with my uh, daughter and family and also have a thriving career. So if I could get a mix of that in my career, I would be very, very content. So uh, at that time I had already published uh, with my co-author the first book. I was already teaching, so I thought, why don't I go back to school and do my LLM? And um, that would give me a little bit more flexibility. So when I started back at Osgoode Hall Law School to do my LLM, I realized that I missed practice. And I contacted uh, York University's Office of the Council, Harriet Lewis at the time, and she had an opening. So she gave me the flexibility, and York University and Osgoode Hall Law School gave me the flexibility to uh, stay in practice and also pursue my uh, LLM and also stay home with my children on the fifth day. So I thought that was a perfect arrangement for me because I could have a little bit of practice, a little bit of academia, and uh, still have time for my family. That's great. Was that an arrangement that you continued with your second job? Good question. So after uh, five years of that arrangement, um, I had my second child, my second daughter, and at that time my husband went, uh, he left private practice and joined the government and then I thought maybe it would be better if I went back full time. I went back full time after my second daughter was born, but what I did was not wear so many hats. So during that year I had completed, or I was close to completing my master's. I just focused on teaching one course, so I just tried to whittle it down so it was actually easier for me, because I was juggling so many multiple hats, to have one hat, this is the role of a lawyer in full-time practice, and then also um, take care of my daughter. Now suffice to say that I had tons of support from my family, and that's the, way, that's the reason why both my husband and I have been able to manage both my uh, career and um, and family life is that uh, we have a very we have very loving grandparents mm. for my children. So my parents looked after my children Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and my in-laws looked after them Tuesday and Thursday. And they were there at the crack of dawn in the morning and oh, making wow. lunches. 
you know, trying to get me up and get us out. Uh, and then they would be home and they would have had meals all prepared. So I actually could focus on work knowing that uh, my children were well taken care of and they were spending time with their grandparents. So that's how we were able to do it. Having family as part of that support network is so vital, especially for childcare. That's great to hear. So when you um, had to transition after your second child to full-time gig, like how was the transition at work? So I was really fortunate because the lawyers that I were uh, that I was working with, they were all career women. With um, and at the time, as it so happened, they were also married to lawyers too. So their partners were all lawyers, and many of them had children. So working in in a university or a large institution in the public sector, it's great because you have challenging work, and you also have the flexibility. Uh, It's just the institution is very accommodating to family life because one of the values is people first. And that's why uh, the public sector institutions, universities are great places to work at. Well, you are the general counsel at Ryerson University. What have you learned about yourself in the leadership role? Very good question. Uh, Leadership to me is a journey about one, finding out about yourself and how you uh, create uh, your situation. So when I say situation, I mean how do you shape through your own strengths, values, attitudes, and weaknesses, how do you shape those in your environment and the environment itself? And so how do you impact others? So for me, it was a real leadership journey to figure out who I was, what my purpose was, and how I was creating the situation that I was in, in a management, as a manager and as a leader. So I did a lot of testing. <laughs> Um, some of the testing uh, that I did um, included the team management systems test, colors, personality, dimensions, Colby, Luminous Spark, Clifton Strengths Finder. And I'm always taking these tests to find out more about myself. And what was striking to me was when after I took these tests that how much of my culture growing up as an Asian Canadian woman, how much of that influenced who I was. And so I found out, and how my family life, and, and the traits of my parents, how that was carried on through me. So it was a real eye-opening experience to figure out who I was. And then after figuring out who I was, uh, and what my strengths were, and how do I impact um, others around me. So I really took a look at how my culture shaped who I was. And it's interesting in Asian culture, uh, what is valued in terms of traits, and the values and traits that are um, are prioritized in more of a North American culture. There was an article for cultural clashes that uh, about East Asians, and I, I don't think these are cultural clashes that are holding anyone back. But to me, it was uh, it was interesting to see. So, for example, in Asian culture, listening is more important than speaking, right? But in North American culture, it's really important to exercise your voice. It's important in Asian culture to uh, talk slowly and not talk very quickly. Uh, consensus is important. Mm-hmm. Humility is important. Acceptance is important. And we have a great respect for hierarchy. 
And so it was interesting to me to just understand these uh, cultural traits, how those traits have been embodied in me as a, as a lawyer, as a leader, as an executive member, and how I could use those traits to help others to make my voice heard and to positively, positively impact um, the university. So you touched on a really interesting point about like your family and how important they were in you know, shaping who you are, including the cultural aspect. Can you specifically kind of elaborate on what you mean by that? What specific traits or values that you think they really instilled in you? <laughs> I think, well, my, you know, these, these are just simple things. Like uh, my father always said, the early bird catches the worm. And for me, so I, I mean, I don't know if it's straight, but he really emphasized, you know, getting to, getting to anything on time and being quick and being active and being true to your word. So in, for him, integrity, uh, taking action, being purpose-driven, and starting on time were uh, very important uh, to him. And so that's what I've carried on. I'm sure there are others, but uh, yeah. Harkening back to something uh, Justice Goodwin Liu said at the uh, faculty keynote, he did a study about Asian Americans advancing in the law. And I guess there was a view that Asian Americans were thought of as not showing leadership qualities and therefore not advancing as quickly in the law. So I was wondering what your take was on that, because it sounds like you really view having an Asian background as more of a strength. You know, it's really interesting what the ideal depiction of a leader is. And I don't think, if you look at all the leaders in your life, they're not all the same, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to think, I think you have to be authentic to who you are, and uh, let's, let's, take about, let's talk about introversion. There's this one quote about Barack Obama, who is a classic introvert, who has learned to act extroverted. If you, look, if you think about him and how well he's done, um, and people say, well, he also had Michelle Obama. And of course, <laughs> I, I, do agree about, I do agree about Michelle. So the ideal personality isn't a fast-talking, fun-loving, and risk-taking person. I mean, there are people who are quieter, who value consensus and uh, who value, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't think that specific cultural traits are holding Asian Canadians back. What I encourage Asian Canadians to do is to just recognize what traits are in you and they're not all the same, right? Mm -hmm. We're all individuals. And then, and then do some self-awareness. Say, okay, I'm embodying these traits. Which traits are going to help me in these situations? And which traits aren't? So I don't think we're all the same. We're very different. And so if there are any cultural traits that you think are uh, holding you back, you have to say, how am I creating the situation that I'm in? And is there a way that I can adjust? and still be authentic to myself. It's a good tip. So switching gears a little bit, so Ryerson's new law school is opening um, fall of this year, and it combines a really unique curriculum that you know emphasis, emphasizes technology, social entrepreneurship, 
And there's a really cool component. There's a mandatory four-month work placement that is supposed to replace articling. So what was the thought process behind this new model of legal education? So Ryerson has always had a history of career-oriented education. So it's a continuation of this career-oriented um, uh, education that we are carrying on with the law school so that when you graduate, you're job ready. And so we applied to the Law Society for the Integrated Practice Curriculum and uh, it was approved so that the students will get a lot of the practical skills in their uh, work term. And we've had a, a ton of experience with the law practice program, mm -hmm. really honing those skills and what uh, students need to learn in practice. So we're gonna adopt uh, a lot of those uh, skills and work with students so that they're practice ready. It's wonderful. So I think a lot of folks that go into the traditional law schools don't realize that the business of practicing law is it's a business and there's an entrepreneurial component so it's great that there's a new model that uh, Ryerson is um, coming up with to better prepare our law students. Do you think that this model will prepare and make better lawyers? Because now there's kind of like two streams. There's a traditional law school stream that perhaps some people have said are, is more theoretical and the focus is on getting on the job training during articling. And then now there's this Ryerson model where you, you kind of do away with the articling, but there's still a small component of the work placement and there's additional boot camps that focus on entrepreneurship and getting those career toolkit. So I think both models are great. Uh, law is a great foundational degree. And what you do, do with that degree is, is very, uh, it's up to you, it's very individualistic. Um, so, and I also believe in lifelong learning. I, I don't think that just because you finished your integrated practice curriculum or had a workplace place, you, your learning ends there. There's so much more continuing education that you can do. Law school is really expensive and there continues to be an articling crisis in Ontario. And some critics have said that Ryerson opening another law school will only exacerbate the articling crisis. How do you respond to that? Well, the articling crisis, we have the two ways that you can be, well now there, there will be three ways that you can get called to the bar. You have integrated practice curriculum so that you don't have to article. And then we have a law practice program which provides other opportunities to get called to the bar. And then there's articling. I don't think that will exacerbate uh, the articling crisis because we have all those different options. I think law school, in terms of tuition, is an investment in your career. I do agree that funding is required and that uh, through scholarships, uh, bursaries, other donations, that we will give people options uh, so that they can pursue a legal education, which is very powerful. It's life-changing. I think that going to law school will change who you are as a person, will change your career prospects, and will change, will change so much. So I believe it's an investment. We want to make it as accessible as possible for as many as possible. What do you view as barriers for the advancement of women in law? Such a hard question. 
I think we have to continue to challenge the status quo. Continue to dream bigger so that we're sitting at boardroom tables, sitting in executive positions, and continue being resilient. Because we will be knocked down as mm -hmm. women over and over again, and we have to just pick ourselves up and continue. So is the barrier yourself individually? It can be, and it, it can be societal as well. And there are many studies on this. The Diversity Institute at Ryerson has done studies about the lagging progress of women and executive levels. And so is it one reason? I don't know. I think there's many, many uh, reasons. But I think it is getting better and that we just continue to fight the fight. And how does it, like an individual challenge the status quo when the folks in power may not reflect the actual demographic that wants to rise up to senior management? So I, in my career, I've always found strength in numbers. And the Korean Canadian Lawyers Association, which I founded in 1995, that brought people together. And then the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, which I helped co-found in 2006, it brought people together so that we had a voice. So I, I believe, and Women General Counsel Canada, same thing, mm -hmm. um, it, it, these groups and these affinity groups are very powerful because it keep, we can have a voice and we can do advocacy work. We can help each other. And that, I think, is very beneficial and helpful if you want to move the dial. And if you have any ideas, so these are all because we had an idea and then we pursued it and stuck with it and executed and implemented it. If you have any great ideas to move the dial, to make it better for Asian Canadian lawyers, make it better for women, get a group of people together, work on it and do something about it. So I really believe in action. One of the things that we did recently was uh, with the CBA, the uh, Canadian Bar Association Senior Racialized Lawyers Summit and again that was just an idea mm. and we brought a bunch of people together and said let's have a summit on making it a better playing field for racialized lawyers in the senior positions and let's talk frankly about how we can help each other and what's holding us back and let's talk about the opportunities out there for us uh, and that really sparks change. So I've always believed that you, 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 <laughs> we, we have to spark change. We yeah. have to take action. Um, because if not us, then who? Here, here. Along the same lines, how do you accelerate cultural shift? So once you have an idea and you want to implement it, how do you bring other people on board who might not necessarily have been part of that initial conversation? I think about all the people that I work with on all these initiatives and there are people that I've known for a very long time or new people that I've met. I think it's really important always to have many voices around the table. So while I like to lead these initiatives, I also like to hear people who think, well that may not be such a great idea because I like to find out why. So am I making a cultural shift for them to be at the table? Not necessarily. I want them to hear the idea and then give me some feedback so I can make it better. I always like to hear people who don't think the same way as I do because I want to understand why 
and see what I can do to change their mind or make the program better or make the initiative better. But it is true that I've had a lot of success because we've had like-minded people together working on, jointly on an initiative. So there's a narrative out there that being a racialized lawyer actually helps you in your career because there are fewer of us. So it can be, you know, sometimes it can be more difficult to differentiate yourself in a very competitive candidate pool. And being, for example, a racialized woman helps you stand out. What is your response to this narrative? I don't, I don't think you can make generalizations. And what well, we all know about tokenism, and I don't mm-hmm. think tokenism is very helpful. I've always been about making sure as many people succeed as possible, regardless of their race uh, or gender or, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much to add on that. I just don't think it's true. Yeah, <laughs> I, no, I, I agree just, too. I, But I've had that said to me once, and I was quite shocked, actually. But that person genuinely believes that I, perhaps as an Asian woman, would have an edge over this other person. And I've heard that sometimes that this is actually not as uncommon of a conversation as I thought it was. But I've heard my other friends sharing similar stories. So we wanted to ask you. What did they look like? (laughs) Right. Not me, not yeah, an Asian exactly. woman. It, because I think if you ask mm-hmm. any <laughs> any Asian woman, yeah. um, they would not think that is true. <laughs> so I think experience, actual experience, you know, wearing our shoes, being in our shoes, yeah. uh, we would have different perspectives on that. And this is why we have to share a podcast with not just the faculty members, but people outside of the faculty membership and outside of Asian legal community. Because it'd be interesting for them to hear some of the things that we sometimes face. Yeah. You're the general counsel of Ryerson, a venture, a teacher, a mother. You founded numerous organizations that support women and promote equity, diversity, and inclusion. And you continue to give back to the legal and wider community. What drives and motivates you? I think first and foremost, I love the law and the legal community. To me, it's the legal community and Asian Canadian lawyers who have supported me. So the opportunities to work on initiatives within the legal community with other lawyers, including Asian Canadian lawyers, to me, that's a joy. And uh, I think people have hobbies. I I do have a couple of hobbies, but I just enjoy it. I think it's fun. I think it's helpful and rewarding. Uh, So, yeah, I I think being a lawyer in the legal community, it's just great. So you've accomplished a lot already. What are your dreams and aspirations now? Helping the next generation is so very important to me. Uh, So when I see my daughter who's in third year at university, for her thinking about where she wants to go, I wonder how can I make it a little bit better for her? And how can I continue to pass on what I've learned to the next generation? And for senior racialized lawyers, we still have a long way to go. You know, there are so many things that we have to still achieve including having an Asian Canadian lawyer on the Supreme Court of Canada, you know, having 
Asian Canadian lawyers visible and around the right tables. There are some, there are a few, but there needs to be more. If you think about diversity in Toronto and Ontario, we live in diverse communities, but that diversity is not always reflected at the higher echelons of power and leadership. We, we need to just keep moving forward and change the status quo. It's a really great note to end on. But before we end, uh, just turning to one of the favorite segments of our show, which is a bit of a surprise. We call it the lightning round. We're going to ask you a series of fun questions. Okay. And you have to answer as quickly as possible. Okay, so question number one. If you weren't a lawyer, what would you be? Journalist. What's your favorite color? Red. Favorite travel spot? Uh, Hawaii. One word to describe yourself. There's three <laughs> words. I need to think of one word. <laughs> three words. Driven, ambitious, caring. Okay. First thing you want to do when you have free time? Hang out with my kids and watch a movie. How many hours of sleep do you typically get? Seven and a half. Okay, that's a good number. <laughs> Seven and a half. <laughs> I think sleep is really important. Underrated. <laughs> sleep is very important. Sleep, sleep is so important. So what are you reading right now? Well, I just finished uh, When the Craw Dads Sing. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good book. I don't have enough time to read fiction. What TV show or Netflix show are you watching right now? I've been watching a lot of K-dramas. And, and I, I do have to say that there is an intellectual interest in all this. My Korean is getting way better, just understanding the dramas. And uh, so I'm always bragging to my kids and my husband, I could understand 80% of that, 90% of that. And, and I really bug them when I say, well, you know, the subtitle is not a direct translation of what they said. They're just rolling their eyes saying, let's just focus on the drama. <laughs> so I've been watching a lot of K-drama on Netflix. Okay. Dog or cat person? Dog. Your go-to cheat food? Chips. What personality trait has gotten you into the most trouble? I think, <laughs> I think your strength is your weakness. And I think because I'm so action-oriented, I would say action-oriented. So the strength is your your weakness. Okay. What fictional character do you wish you could meet? Oh, Ri Jung Hyuk uh, crash landing on you, but you'd have which to is watch, a K drama. Which is a K drama. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we all have to watch that to understand that answer. Yeah, <laughs> they're really good actors. <laughs> okay. Who would play you in a movie of your life? My daughter. I would love for my oh. daughter to play me. And both my daughters, if Claire and Anne, you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Either one of you could do an amazing job because you know me so well. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that concludes our show for today. Thank you so much, Julia, for sharing your insights and your dreams and aspirations with us and our listeners. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for other episodes in FACL Ontario's mini-series, Conversations with Asian Women in the Law. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave comments and reviews to help people find us. 
Thank you for listening. We invite you to check out our website at on.facl.ca and subscribe to Fackles newsletters and podcasts. If you have any questions, please contact us through our website. We look forward to having you join us again.